this opportunity here in front of me with Charlotte is so attractive is because of the competitive element. I see a, an owner that's probably one of the most competitive guys we've ever seen, six-time NBA champion, Mitch Kupchak, 10-time NBA champion, competitors at all levels. I look at our roster. This is a roster of guys that have won at different levels. They want to win more, but they won at multiple levels. I'm not inheriting a team of 18, 19-year-olds. This is a group of men that has won, and that's exciting to me. I'm excited by this roster. Oh, Alfalfa, you're a sweet After eight years in the Queen City, Kemba Wonker's time with the Hornets appears to be over. NBA free agency officially began just a few moments ago. And moments ago, ESPN reported Wonker agreed to sign a four-year, $140 million maximum contract to join the Boston Celtics. The NBA free agency moratorium now over Terry Rozier is officially a Charlotte Hornet. Charlotte Hornet. Charlotte Hornet. Oh boy, talk about perennially disappointing. The Charlotte Hornets are the NBA's premier franchise when it comes to disappointing its fans almost every single season. Even though it's been five years since the Hornets became the Hornets again after that whole Bobcats situation for 10 years, uh, the losing traditions of the Bobcats are definitely still prevalent in the Queen City. The Hornets, if you didn't know this, have an all-time win-loss percentage of 40 4%. And that also accounts for their years as the Bobcats. So if that doesn't show their historical insignificance across 32 seasons, I don't know what does. Uh, it's also unfortunate because this team has the indistinguishable honor of having the worst record in NBA history during the lockout 2012 season, going 7-59. and Do you know what that means? That means they've only, they only won 10% of the games that they played in that season. That's awful. That is terrible. Adding to that, their historical woes, they've never won a championship. They've never won a conference title. And this, something I was most surprised about, they never ever won their division. Never. Never. In 32 years, they've never won their division. That pretty much adds to the point that they are the third worst franchise all time with their win-loss percentage and also with the things that they've achieved in the NBA. So unfortunately for the 2019-2020 Hornets, seems like history is going to repeat itself here because they are not looking good right now. They lost their only superstar, Kemba Walker, to the Celtics. They overpaid on some average players like Terry Rozier. And they reached for their only rookie, P.J. Washington, uh, which kind of adds to this whole setup of a disappointing season going into the 2019-2020 campaign. Last season, the Hornets weren't terrible for a bubble Eastern Conference playoff team. They were solid offensively. They ranked 12th in the league, which isn't bad, actually. It's actually pretty good. They were in the top half of the NBA for offense, but they were a below-average defensive squad, putting in 22nd for the majority of the season. I believe they actually also ended 22nd in the league, uh, but the season ended with them going 39-43, and just missing the playoffs at the ninth spot in the East. So the team, if you've been watching Hornets basketball or at least have had any eye on the Hornets throughout the past I don't know, 10 years, 9 years, uh, you would know that this is kind of what the usual Kemba-era basketball is like. Kemba was drafted in that 2011 draft with Kyrie Irving, but this Kemba-era, like, 
they're good, but they're not that good. They are good enough to make the playoffs, but they're not good enough to win a series. That's what it's always been for the Hornets since Kemba was drafted. But you might have seen the Hornets perform and put together an almost playoff season, but it was quite literally on the back of Kemba Walker. He led the team in points per game with 25.6, assists with 5.9, and steals with 1.2 steals per game. Kemba Walker was far and beyond the best player of last season for this team, without a doubt, without even a question, okay? And they also had a situation where their second highest scorer was Jeremy Lamb, who only averaged 15.3 points per game. Quite a difference, huh? Imagine if they didn't have Kemba Walker, they'd probably be in a worse position than the Cavs because at least the Cavs' highest scorers put up over 16 points per game. Their second highest scorer was putting up 15.3. That's abysmal. For a franchise that you think could do something and you know maybe has the pieces, they have one of the best players of all time as their owner, and they still can't put a winning franchise on the floor, that's crazy to me. Crazy. The rookie last season, Miles Bridges, he was okay. Uh, 7.5 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game, 1.2 assists per game for a mid-lottery forward. That's pretty good. Uh, Did I expect more from him? A little bit, a little bit. Uh, Only because the whole situation with the Hornets and their wings, it's awful. They don't really have a wing. Michael, uh, sorry, Michael Kidd Gilchrist is not the answer at the three. So I would think that Miles Bridges would have a wide open door to become that running mate for Campbell Walker for the next eight years at least, uh, you know, become that breakout star. But he never showed any flashes of that. Now, can he dunk? He certainly can dunk. But did we see anything else last season from him? Not really. I was trying to watch highlights, trying to see if there was anything exciting. Every dunk he put up was awesome. But aside from that, I didn't see much promise, anything exciting about Miles Bridges, anything even borderline highly competitive with Miles Bridges. But my hope for him is that he kind of turns into next season's breakout star, like uh, like a Victor Oladipo type situation, where Oladipo was just kind of a role player at, at the point when he was uh, traded from the Thunder for Paul George, and then just boom, next year, what was it, like 23 points per game and just became an all-star out of nowhere. So I hope that happens for Miles Bridges, especially now with the Kemba situation being over. And it's literally just this team of guys who put up average numbers. So hopefully Miles Bridges takes the bull by the horns and really puts up great, great numbers this season. But for a team so poorly equipped, you'd kind of expect them to be fairly light on the pocket, right? But for the Charlotte Hornets, that's not really the case because this season they'll be playing, paying the former Portland Trailblazer Nick Batum $25.5 million to continue averaging 9 points per game, 5 rebounds per game, and 3 assists per game. I don't really know what happened to this guy. Honestly, when he was in Portland, he would look like one of the most versatile, like ideal team-first guys in the league. But now he's just kind of looked at it as an expensive mistake. His averages shot up in his first two seasons in Charlotte with 14 and 15 points per game respectively, but they've declined so steadily since then, it's insane to watch because Nick Batum, if you remember that summer that they brought him in, he was like one of the big prizes of the offseason because he was your do-it-all guy. Everyone was like, finally, they got Kemba some help. This guy's going to make this team so much better. And like I said, for his first two seasons, he did. But now it's just this steady decline because... 
who knows? Maybe he got the money and he doesn't want to play anymore, but he's only 30 years old, so he's still technically in that peak form. So it's kind of upsetting to see that a guy like that it has taken such a fall from grace over the past few seasons that he's now only averaging nine points per game. But then the Hornets also cap-strapped themselves. Yep, I'm still trying to make that a word. So they still they cap-strapped themselves with the most ridiculous signing of the entire summer, Terry Rozier. That whole scary contract situation of three years, $56 million. I, I get that they didn't want to lose Kemba for nothing, but talk about overpaying somebody literally just to overpay somebody. That contract is absurd. They have literally no reason to be paying this guy that kind of money. Terry Rozier has career averages of 7.7 points per game, 2.3 assists per game, and 3.7 rebounds per game. If we're going off the Hornets' pocketbook logic, that means that Brandon Knight of the Cleveland Cavaliers also deserves to make $19 million a year because his averages are pretty much comparable to what Terry Rozier was doing. And aside from those two bad contracts, they also have an entire team's worth of contract mistakes. Bismack Biombo is making $17 million this year after the Hornets gave him a wild four-year, $72 million contract in the summer of 2016. Do you remember why he got a four-year, $72 million contract? Because he was easily the best defensive player of the playoffs that year with the Toronto Raptors. He was incredible that summer. Or, sorry, during that uh, playoff run. But he's not worth four years, $72 million. That's crazy. Crazy. Then, they're still paying number two, former number two overall pick, Marvin Williams, $15 million this season. And Cody Zeller's right there making $14.8 million as well. Are you kidding me? Cody Zeller? Really? Cody Zeller? You're going to give that guy $14.8 million to do what? Give you seven points, six rebounds? Come on. But finally, on this episode of Wasteful Contracts, we have Michael Kidd Gilchrist making $13 million this season. Talk to any 13, 14-year-old who plays NBA 2K. I'm pretty sure they can even tell you that these were bad contracts to give out. This was the worst team in general when it comes to giving out contracts. They were just giving out contracts willy-nilly during that summer of 2016 and beyond then. And now they have all these contracts that it's like, oh, we have no money to spend. I wonder why. You gave Cody Zeller $14.8 million. You gave Michael Kidd Gilchrist $13 million. That's too much money. $17 million for Bismack Biombo. And it's not like they learned, right? It's not like they're saying, okay, well, we made these mistakes. We're going to learn. We're not going to do this again. They gave Terry Rozier $19 million this season. $19 million to average seven points per game. Do you really think Terry Rozier was going to take that next step and become an all-star like they're hoping, or at least a solid starter? I don't see it. Not with Terry Rozier. I do not see that at all. At all. Luckily for them, they have Biombo and Marvin Williams coming up as unrestricted free agents next year. But they still have the whole uh, big contract with Nick Batum. That's going to be huge because he still has another year next year as a player option. And if you think a guy who's 30 years old and is declining is not going to pick up his player option, you're just you're just being stupid because the only reason somebody like that wouldn't pick up their option is if they were if they knew they could make more money. Nick Batum is declining. 
He's not going to make more money. This is the most money he's ever going to make in his career. And as soon as the season's over, if he gets another job in the NBA, it's going to be on a veteran minimum contract. He's going to be like a Lance Stevenson or a J.R. Smith picking up little veteran contracts to continue playing in the NBA. Missing the playoffs for the Hornets is never really that fun because they do it so often and the fans must be just so tired of watching their team lose. But they managed to get the 12th overall pick in the 2019 draft, which it's always a promising spot, right? You get guys down there in that 12 to 15 range. You've gotten guys like Donovan Mitchell, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, you know, you've gotten some pretty decent guys in that lower lottery area. But the crappy part about this is that they really, really reached for their pick. P.J. Washington, power forward out of Kentucky, was made the 12th overall pick by the franchise in June. It's not, a, it's not really a great pick. It's really actually not a great pick because P.J. played two seasons at Kentucky, both being terribly pedestrian. For a 6'8 power forward who was an athletic, former five-star recruit, you would have expected so much more out of him. But in those two seasons in the South, P.J. averaged 12.9 points per game, 6.6 rebounds per game, and 1.3 assists per game as well. Those are not lottery numbers by any means of the imagination. Now, if you tell me that he was doing this as the 11th player off the bench in five minutes of action, yeah, hell yeah, I'd be impressed. That, that's incredible. No one can do that. But he was the starter at one of the top basketball programs in the nation. Those numbers are unacceptable for a 12th pick. What are you doing, Charlotte? What are you doing? And another thing, he's another big guy. How many big guys do they have on this team? Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams, Michael K. Gilchrist, P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, he's a wing, but he's a big wing. What are they doing? Bismack Biombo. Nick Batum plays the two, the three, the four. He can play every position. They have so many forwards. They're like the New York Knicks. They just love power forwards. They love centers. I don't get that. The other thing about P.J. Washington is that nothing about him screams future NBA superstar. It's unfortunate, really, but it's the truth. He wasn't great in college, and I don't think he'll be better than a role player off the bench throughout his NBA career. Do I think he has longevity in the league? I don't know. He has a lot of injury issues in the past, in high school, and college, and he doesn't seem to be too great at one thing. For me, I think that if he can develop a three-point shot that he can drill consistently, maybe he can last until 30, 32 in the NBA, be a consistent role player, but I never see P.J. Washington taking that leap into superstardom or even stardom. Even starter-dumb. I only see him coming off the bench as a role player, and hopefully he becomes an efficient one at that because I like seeing guys succeed. I don't root for anybody to fail. I just don't think P.J. Washington is the answer for Charlotte right now. Moving on to their offseason, they had a pretty lackluster summer league. Rookie P.J. Washington didn't even touch the court during the games, but young guy Dwayne Bacon really showed out putting 15 points per game over four summer league contests. Again, like I said in the Cavs episode that you can catch on wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't place much emphasis on summer league showings at all. I care more about what guys do against actual pros, not what they do in an over-glorified pro-am. Because at the end of the day, that's what summer league is. It's college guys, it's NBA rookies, it's undrafted guys, it's all these different groups of people that some of them are going to make the league, some of them really aren't, some of them were in the league, some of them aren't. So, I don't care about what people do in Summer League. I really don't. It does not matter to me. I care about what they do against guys like Giannis, like LeBron, like a Justice Winslow, right? 
defenders, good defenders, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Patty Bevs, those type of guys, Montrez Harrell, pretty much the entire Clippers team at this point. That's what I care about. I care that you can play against a good team, that you can play against good players, not some 20-year-old that's trying to make the league who came in undrafted from Western Kentucky. I don't care about that. With free agency, the Hornets whiffed all over it, completely whiffed on free agency. They lost their superstar in Kemba Walker in a move that really sucks for the Hornets, but I'm thankful they let it happen because it's great for Kemba's career. Kemba needed to get out of Charlotte if he ever wanted to try and achieve something with his career. So I'm really, really thankful that he chose for himself to, yes, I'm going to lose some money, but I need to try and win something before my career is over. I think Kemba is going to be what they thought Kyrie was going to be in Boston, and I think he's actually going to lead that team forward and move them to a place of contention because Kemba does not have the ego that Kyrie Irving does. Kyrie Irving has a massive ego, an uncomfortable ego in that room, in that locker room. Kemba does not. Kemba's a leader. Then, they also lost veteran legend Tony Parker to retirement. That That's just unfortunate for the NBA as a whole. Tony Parker was one of the best point guards to ever do it. And never because of his stats. If you look at Tony Parker's stats, they're nothing out of the ordinary. They're nothing that exciting. But you know what? It is. You know what Tony Parker is? Tony Parker was a great teammate. He was a great competitor. And he always knew that the team came first and the team winning was more important than his stats. Same reason why Manu Ginobili is one of the best shooting guards ever. Not because he was a stack guy, right? Like a Dwayne Wade or a Kobe. But he was more about the team and making sure that the team won. And he would do what he had to do for the team to win. If he had to put 20 points up, no problem. If he had to put five, no problem. Tony Parker... Retiring, it's going to be a huge loss for the NBA. It's very unfortunate, but at least he doesn't have to play in Charlotte anymore. And then they also lost three rotation pieces in Jeremy Lamb, Shelvin Mack, and Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky, another guy that they reached for in the draft, another guy that nobody thought should be a lottery pick, but the Hornets went ahead and picked him in the lottery. Jeremy Lamb was infamously the guy that the Oklahoma City Thunder traded James Harden for, essentially, because that was the pick um, that they got back was Jeremy Lamb. So, we're, I mean, okay, great. You lost Jeremy Lamb. You lost Frank Kaminsky. Shelvin Mack. Shelvin Mack's a pretty okay point guard. Nothing huge. But important rotation guys for them. Guys that know their role on the team. And like I said earlier, Jeremy Lamb was actually the second leading scorer on the team. So, they lost their first and second leading scorers in one offseason. Aside from those guys, they also lost a few no-name guys like J.P. Makura to free agency. But then, to replace them, they decided to bring in P.J. Washington, who we've spoken about. Terry Rozier, who I'm sure you all know that I don't like the Terry Rozier signing one bit. Uh, the Martin brothers, Caleb and Cody. So that's cool. They have a set of twins on their team. Maybe, hopefully, they'll turn into the Morris twins and they'll actually be decent. And uh, some no-name borderline D-leaguers as well that are already playing for the Greensboro Swarm and didn't even make the actual Hornets roster. If anything, they have two-way contracts, which I believe one of them does. Not going to waste my time saying their names. I said it in the actual For the Record episode of last week. Haven't heard much else out of Charlotte's camp at all. They've had a pretty quiet rest of the offseason since free agency. The Hornets are already out of media attention. So the fact that you haven't heard much else after they lost the only person that made them relevant, 
makes sense. It really, really makes sense. Their best case scenario, my opinion, if uh, if Terry Rozier actually pans out, maybe averages something like 20 points a game, five assists a game, then I could see the Hornets finishing around 12th, 13th in the East, maybe drafting a shooting guard in the lottery to build their backcourt of the future with Terry Rozier if he actually does pan out. And most importantly, Nick Batum doesn't pick up his player option. Maybe he has a career revival, puts up 18 points per game, and goes, I can make money again. I am leaving Charlotte. But their worst case scenario, which I think is going to be closer to what they end up with, is Terry Rozier flames out, as I expect, which I'm sure a lot of other people expect as well. Nick Batum does pick up that $21 million player option for next season. And then the Hornets end up finishing 14th, 15th in the East, and then lose out on a top three pick in the lottery, and then draft yet another power forward or center because Michael Jordan seems to think we're still playing in 1995. So my final grade for the Hornets is going to be an F. Uh, deciding which team was worse between the Hornets and Cavs was it was kind of difficult, but the only reason I didn't make the Hornets the worst team in the NBA is because they were not paying the luxury tax. They are not paying the luxury tax for next season. Even though they're super, super, super close to it, they're not paying it. That's the only reason I didn't make this team my last team uh, on preseason previews. But the Hornets are directionalists, completely directionless. I don't think they even know what they're doing. And I, I don't see a future for this team. I don't. I don't see a future in five years, and I certainly don't see a future in 10 years because who knows what these guys are going to be doing in 10 years? Who knows what decisions Michael Jordan's going to be making when he's pushing 60, 70 years old? I don't, I don't want to say that the Hornets are the worst franchise in the NBA. I really don't because I think that city's great. I think the fans are great. They still show up even though they know their team is terrible. But to me, Charlotte is the at least most poorly run franchise in the NBA. They make boneheaded decisions from the top down for their player personnel, their coaching personnel, their GM they just keep making these mistakes, and it's it's just constant. Every single year, the same mistakes, just with different faces and different names. I hope the Hornets figure it out soon. I hope I really, really hope they do. But chances are the Hornets are still going to continue to be the Hornets as we've always known them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, guys. I am loving doing these preseason previews with you. Uh, the next one coming out is actually going to be the Washington Wizards. You can hear the abridged version, abridged version on my last episode of For the Record, which came out on Tuesday. Be ready for this episode on Tuesday because we're going to be talking a bit about my fantasy draft, which happens on Sunday. We're going to be talking about some of the bigger things that have been happening in the NFL, like Jadavion Clowney to the Seahawks. Something that's important to me with the entire CTE discussion with Jordan Reed coming back into the NFL after having seven concussions. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about basketball as well. So please do be ready for that new episode of For the Record coming out on Tuesday, like every Tuesday. Make sure you listen, you five-star, you subscribe, you like, you favorite, whatever it is, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for all the support I've actually gotten a lot more support than I thought. So it's been a lot of fun putting these episodes together for everybody. And I hope to continue entertaining you as much as I can. Uh, make sure to have a good week, have a good day, have a good time, do something good for somebody, hold the door open, give somebody a dollar, buy somebody a coffee, just do something nice. That's all you got to do. Be a good person.
<laughs> All right. Take care. See you on the next one. Peace.